0: So I got to talking with some people this week, um, was on, I don't know, how many of you have been on some Zoom calls? Everybody raise your hand. Oh, yeah, I see them all in my mind's eye. We've all had a few Zoom meetings, Zoom conference calls, um, and I was on one earlier this week, and, and one of the pastors, it was a bunch of pastors, um, commented that, the DS had asked us how this whole quarantining, social distancing kind of thing had affected our lives. What was the most positive thing that had come out of it? And one of the pastors made it just a really sharp comment. Um, they said that this slowdown had forced them into Sabbath rest, that they had been ignoring in their life. Right, so it's almost like a jubilee year or a jubilee two weeks um, uh, to just slow down. So at some point in this message, maybe when I get boring or something like that, jump back into the comments and maybe just record um, what has been the most amazing thing that has come out of this social distancing and quarantining, and maybe even jump on a comment again and say, "What's the first thing you're going to do on the day that we're allowed to go free?" Right. So right there in the comment section, have some fun. Um, But right now, you need to start attention. All right, here we go. Uh, We're winding down our series. Uh, This is almost the end of it, so hang in there, pray. It'll end soon. Again, last week I had noticed a couple things, and, and those things that I had seen right in, in, in the news and in our culture had really informed me on what I needed to say last week. Um, the couple things that I had noticed is, number one, there was a lot of really good information. Right, If you're watching the news, um, you, there, there's not a shortage of information on how to keep yourself safe. But the second thing I had noticed that made me preach what I wanted to preach last week was that there was a lot of really lousy information about my Heavenly Father, a lot of really... Misleading and wrong information, in my opinion. So last week I addressed that issue. Um, but this week I noticed a third thing. And I'm guessing that as this plays out and as this either continues to ramp up or wind down either way, um, I think what I noticed is going to probably intensify in the next couple weeks. And, and it's this, that times like these bring out the best in us and the worst in us. Right? TV stations, they're doing a great job of highlighting uh, the best in us, right? I, I, I love watching our morning sh- news shows with my wife. And I mean, half the time we're in tears, we're just sobbing because the stories of sacrificial and extravagant love are so deeply felt. They're so viscerally real. And, 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 and we're sitting there thinking, oh, we, we, like, we can't wait till we get out of here and we can do things like that. And, and it was just really awe inspiring, really uplifting, these, these incredible stories. Um, and the amazing thing is, what were once random acts of kindness, we're now beginning to recognize as not random acts, but very, very intentional acts of sacrificial and extravagant love. And that has been amazing. That's, that's the best of us that times like this has brought out. But again, times like this brings out the worst in, in some of us. Again, at the same time, some really, really, really ugly outcomes. One of them is scapegoating. Uh, Dr. Jeff Levin, I read an article this week, he's from Baylor University's Institute for Studies on Religion, they're studying the the intersection of health and and faith. And he makes the point that that this has been proven time and time again, in in times of crisis, whether it's a health crisis or an economic crisis, um, any kind of crisis, uh, faith matters. Faith truly matters. Um, so many studies after study, they, they divide up the two groups and the people with the faith, they withstood the pressure of the crisis. And those without faith tended more often than not to fall apart and to, and to, and to crumble. But he says that but there's an, a flip side of this, and he cautions that the challenge of a widespread crisis can result in blaming and scapegoating. And we're seeing this already. Um, because of this, this coronavirus, um, if you are, and maybe you've noticed, if you're Asian or a teenager, a young person, maybe you've noticed people giving you hard looks over the past couple of weeks, right? Because young people are now being blamed because they're not social distancing, and this came out of China, so all Asians are suspect. And, and, and it just... It, it, It's kind of getting ugly and and mean, just a little bit. Um, What's what's the weird thing is this crisis has so hyper-focused us on this that it's kind of temporarily taken the spotlight on some other cultural scapegoating that we do here in America. I don't know if you noticed this before, but when when we start talking about immigration anything like that, suddenly Latinos... They become the enemy. Uh, maybe we're talking about terrorism, and suddenly if you're an Arab or you're a Muslim, uh, people are giving you some hard, hard stares. Um, just, that, that's just kind of the way we react. We, we see something happening in the world, and who's to blame? Who's, who, who needs to be punished for this? And again, if you're a religious bigot, right? I've heard this. It's the Jews, the colored folks, and the homosexuals. God's punishing us because we let them in. Okay, that's just dumb. Just stop it. Just, just stop it. That's not biblical. Politicians, TV personalities, they're all going to play up on all these, these tendencies that we have in our human nature, this tendency to not take the blame and to want to blame somebody else. And they're going to play up on it, and, and we've, got to, we've got to resist it. We've got to resist it. Then there's profiteering. You guys have probably seen this all over the place. I was watching a newscast, and there was a doctor who, in order to get face masks and and protective gowns and the face shields, he went on the black market. And he he was on TV, and he said he was shown into a New York City warehouse um, with pallets stacked to the ceiling with face masks, protective face gear, the gowns, the whole bit, um, at an 800% markup. 800% markup. Two reasons these things are happening in our world today. Number one, people in our world don't share our view that humanity, every human in God's world was created in His image and therefore has inherent value. There are a lot of folks in our world who simply don't buy into any of that. They do not believe that. Human life is simply not worth anything. But I think the second reason that this kind of thing happens is is what I guess I'll call loopholes right? Loopholes. Somebody in New York City, they found a loophole in the law and they're going to profit big time at the expense of somebody who's going to have to suffer for this person to profit. And again, before anybody gets all righteously indignant, consider this. Historically speaking, we church people, we religious people, we are the worst loopholers in the world. Right? That's just all there is to it. Um, For if you're a Catholic, if you're a Protestant, if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim, if you look at your history, you will have to be honest at some point and say, you know what? Um, At times in our history, we have used loopholes, and it has led to chaos and destruction and death. Nearly all religions have played this game. We are not immune to that. I guarantee you this is not a marriage made in heaven. Religion and loopholes. I was listening to one preacher this week and he describes being in Cairo. And if you're in a Muslim nation five times a day, there is a call um, for you to stop and pray. Five times a day is one of the five pillars of Islam. And he was in Cairo and at a certain point during the day he said it was in the marketplace and the, the call came out. You could hear it on the loudspeakers. I mean everybody, you could not miss it. But he noticed. He said, uh, people, and he said, I kind of expected everybody to stop. And there were a few people who would stop and roll out their, their prayer shawls and, and decide which way was east. And, 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 but the, he said the vast majority, nobody blinked an eye. And so he got in the cab and he, and he just asked this cab driver, so, you know, I'm not, not pointing fingers or anything, but um, I heard the call. I know you heard the call. Why didn't anybody stop and pray? And, and, the, and the cab driver, according to this pastor, Proceeded to go into a long, crazy, convoluted explanation as to why it was okay for him to not stop during the day and pray. Just really, he lists off just a bunch of loopholes um, in the Quran that he had figured out and taken advantage of. And again, the, this pastor says, stop, stop, stop. Hey, hey, I get it. You don't need to explain. I'm a Christian. Christians, we know all about loopholes, right? Um, I have some Catholic cousins. Wonder, wonderful family, and we would go hang out with them up in, in L.A. Uh, on weekends, and the one part that kind of blew, that kind of stopped the fun on the weekend is that on, on, if, we, if we were there on Saturday night, they would have to go to confession. Right, if we weren't there, apparently they did it on Sunday morning. Um, But when we were there, they did it on Saturday night. Um, And I always thought, as a Protestant, what a, what a, and I I guess I called it a loophole, right? My understanding, and I know this is a faulty understanding, so please forgive me. I'm not bagging on Catholics at all here. Um, But my understanding at that point was that like my cousins could go do anything they wanted, right? And they would go to the confession booth, they would say everything that they'd done. The the priest would do something. I I had no idea what he did, and suddenly they were absolved. Right? They they, they had done nothing. They were clean. And then they could go, and and apparently the way I saw it, they could go do anything they wanted again. And then they did the same thing the next week, and they confessed they were all good to go again. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty cool. I I, I wasn't sure about it, if it was ugly or beautiful. I I struggled with it just a little bit. Um, But then I began to realize, uh, we Catholics, excuse me, we Protestants, we have our own kind of, I guess, misinterpreted confessional booth. It's actually a passage. Uh, you're going to see it up on the screen beside me here. 1 John one nine. I don't know how many of you have quoted this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we hang on that one, don't we? We love that one. That one is probably one of the more quoted verses from Scripture when anybody's talking about, hey, would you like to follow Jesus, you know, in your life? Um, and then there's a passage that says that after we pray this prayer, God forgets our sin, sins, it's like as far as east is from the west. Like how cool is that, right? So the next night when you go and you pray, Lord, I, I did it again, God says, what are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. That's amazing. That's a pretty cool thing. Hey, you know, we're honest. We got to be honest. We all love loopholes, right? Not sure you knew this, but loophole Christians love theologians, but they hate Bible scholars. Let me explain very quickly here. A theologian picks sides, right? If I am a Wesleyan-Armenian Christian, which I am, I will deliberately look for Wesleyan-Armenian theologies because theologians take sides. You'll have a Catholic theologian. You can have a Protestant theologian. You can have a Lutheran theologian. You can have a Reformed theologian. You can have all all these theologians. They're fighting for their interpretation of the Bible. But a Bible scholar doesn't take sides. He just presents the evidence. And sometimes when we read a Bible scholar, what they conclude, we just think, Oh! And that's because the Bible scholar doesn't take sides. He just presents the evidence, and the theologians pick it up and play with it after that. I, I don't know. But, but these two groups, they, 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 they really work side by side. They're both amazing groups. Sometimes I feel like I'm a, a theologian. I want to convince somebody. I want to persuade somebody that what I believe is true. I want them to believe the same thing. And at other times, I, I kind of become a Bible scholar, and I start questioning my theology, and it, it's, it's fun. It, it's, it's a load of fun. But here's the deal. Here's, here's why I bring this up. The theologians is kind of like everybody's um, spiritual lawyer on retainer, right? If you want to make a point, if you want to buy into a certain interpretation of Scripture, you can go find a commentary. You can go find a theologian who will back you up 100%, right? Kind of like in the law. If you want to break the law, you can go find a good lawyer who will somehow find a loophole or a workaround so that you can do exactly what you want and not get arrested and go to jail. So theologians, great... Great people, and again, I, I know a lot of you are thinking, well, I would never do that. I would never. I would just look at the Scripture, and I would read it just the way it is, but let me throw out a couple phrases that I have a feeling that I use a lot. Maybe you use these a lot. This is the theologian in all of us, right? That's just Old Testament thinking, but in the New Testament, right? If you've ever said that, you, you're a theologian. You're a theologian. That instruction for Paul was specific to that situation, but it doesn't apply to us anymore, you're a theologian. That was civil law, ceremonial law, not moral law. Some scholars actually don't believe Jesus said that, or Moses said that, or John, or Paul, or Ringo said that. You know, we, 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 we just don't think they actually said it. Some scribe added it later. And so we wonder, wow, am I even reading the Bible anymore? Or well, that was for that culture, but certainly not for ours. Look at bottom line, we all love loopholes. We love loopholes. Loopholes allow us to do things and to stay within the rules, right? Rule lovers love, love the loopholes. But here's the thing that struck me this week. In times of crisis, some people find loopholes to expand love, and other people find loopholes to withdraw or contract love. Again, some people find loopholes loopholes to expand love, and we're seeing this all over the place. The news media is doing a great job of showing people finding loopholes to do amazing, loving, extravagant, sacrificial acts of love for each other. I mean, and it's fun to watch these kind of things, but the fact of the matter is there will be a lot of people who are looking for loopholes to pull back on love. In fact, the history of Christianity, the history of religion could actually be maybe summed up well, some people have tried to sum it up. Some people have hated people for a, for a verse. Or, or maybe a couple of verses, or even a handful of verses. People have taken a verse, or a couple verses, or a handful of verses, and they persecuted Jews. They've taken a verse, or a handful of verses, and they've enslaved black people. They've taken a verse, maybe a couple of verses, and they've hated homosexuals. Bottom line, they found a way to dismiss those that Jesus died for by using his father's own words. And this got Jesus just upset. (laughs) It just upset him when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people who were trying to, they they were just being selfish, when they would take his father's words and they would twist them, right? And they would turn it so that if you looked at it just right, they got to do whatever they wanted to do. They found a way to dismiss those that Jesus had died for by using His own Father's words. It's basically gaming God, right? We we all do it. Gaming God was nothing new to Jesus too. The Jewish people had become experts at gaming God. I know it's a strange phrase. If you ever game the system, right? You look for loopholes, the work around, so that you can win. This is what they were doing. They were gaming their own God. But I'm going to give you a little bit of background before I jump into Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Two things I need to explain very quickly, Um, there's a thing called the law, number one, the law, um, and that is not the Bible, okay, the Bible includes the law, it includes a lot of stories about the people who uh, operated under the law, but the law, when when the scriptures talk about the law, it's really only about 20 chapters of Exodus. The very small, tiny, tiny little section of the Bible. And and, and you're asking, well, what's the rest of the Bible? Well, the rest of the Bible is all the prophets talking about the law and the kings and the queens who operated under the law and a savior who was born under the law. um, But fulfilled the law, Jesus Christ. So the law was, was, was a rather, rather small bit. And then they had something called the oral tradition. Or the traditions of the elders. And this was hundreds and hundreds and you've heard the, the number maybe six hundred and fourteen or maybe six hundred and twenty. But there were there were so many more, hundreds and hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of laws really that were um they, they acted as a fence around the original laws that God had given. So basically the idea was, okay, God gave a a list of laws. Let's say it's the Ten Commandments, which is within those 20 chapters within the law. And so they they decided, since we don't want people to break any of these Ten Commandments, we're gonna create a whole bunch of rules that they would have to break first in order to break the biggie, right? So they set up what was originally some smaller, lesser laws in order to protect the people from violating to get on the wrong side of the fence and actually violating one of the biggies that could get you into big, big trouble, all right? So we got, we got all these laws, and, and many of them ended up criminalizing all sorts of crazy stuff and allowing all sorts of crazy stuff completely at odds with the law inside the fence, right? It just got so convoluted and so, you know, the way humans are, slicing and dicing, we're all lawyers, That's <laughs> just the way it is. I'm sounding like I'm really mean to lawyers. I got a brother-in-law who's a lawyer, and I love him to death, I just wanted to say that. Okay, so, again, these additional lesser man-made rules are created so that you don't accidentally break the all-important, original, God-given laws. It's basically a fence around the law. This is the way it was described. These hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other laws. Let me give you an example of what is about to happen in chapter 15, how these two levels of laws conflict with one another. I want to just, just, just kind of go back to your teenage years, you're a, you're a young player and somehow you've got a girl to come over to your place, I don't know how, you, you shaved, you used deodorant, whatever, but they agreed to come over and um, you're either in the basement, you're in the bumpus room, you know, the, the extra room, or, or, or maybe somehow you you got her into your bedroom, I, I don't know how that happened, Maybe maybe it's because your mom and dad removed your door because of what you did last week, I don't know, But you know you're a player and you reach over and you're very slyly turning on some music. I don't know what rocks your boat. Maybe it's Barry Manilow, you know. Maybe it's Barry White. I don't know. And then you've got the music going and you lower the lights. And then all craziness busts loose. Mom busts in. What do you have the lights off? Turn those lights back on. What are you guys doing? And it's just crazy, you know. Things are flying everywhere. And you have the guts to say to your mom, but mom... The rule in this house is to turn out the lights if you're not using them. I've done nothing wrong. <laughs> He's a player. Woo! That was good, son. But you are so technically right. Mom, though, is morally speaking, she's right. What you've done is you've taken one rule and you've twisted it to fit what you wanted to do. Right? The rule that was saving energy, you've kind of twisted it, and now it's not an issue of saving energy. It's an issue of unwanted pregnancy, right? Two totally separate situations, but you, wise, wise kid, you took a rule and you twisted it to get what you wanted, and again, the problem, the problem with all this is eventually the Pharisees and the scribe made these two sets of rules, like the original ones inside the fence and the hundreds outside, they made them equal. And they were never meant to be equal. And on top of that, they, 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 they made them equal, um, but they also made them binding on everybody. A, a lot of them were binding on everybody, but there was a fat section of them that only dealt with the priests. Like, and they had these hand-washing, these crazy hand-washing only be described as a ceremony, right? And they would, the first step, and, and, they, and it was, it was, it was figured out down to how much water you were supposed to use. It was an eggshell and a half. How much water you could fit in an eggshell and a half? And so that water would be dripped on your hands. Your fingers pointing to heaven. You couldn't let it run down your elbow because that would then be unclean. So you, it drips off your wrist, and then you turn. And the same amount of water is poured and it drips off you. And it it continued for a while. Now listen, this this cleansing had nothing to do with particularly hygiene. So if you're at home and you're talking with your kids, pay attention to Pastor Jerry. He's talking about washing your hands. Don't. That's that's not where we're going here this morning. Um, So anyway, one day Jesus is having this conversation with some Sadducees and some Pharisees. And they're doing exactly what you had done you know, with Barry White and Barry Manilow, right? So, Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Then some Pharisees and the teachers of the law, scribes, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And again, before you show this to your kids, this really has nothing to do with hygiene. Maybe remotely, remotely, um, but, but not. Again, the traditions of the elders, this, these, this is the oral laws that had been built up and, and collected over hundreds of years. Um, not the law of Moses, okay? Not the law of Moses. Um, but before again, let, let me just get in a little bit more into this concept of clean and unclean, because really that's what is going to be talked about here. Um, being clean and unclean in Jewish culture, and, and really in a lot of ancient religion, it really had nothing to do with morality or sin, per se. Um, for example, touching certain things produced uncleanliness. And as I kind of go through this, you're going to quickly realize there's no way you could make it through your day without becoming unclean. And again, super important to understand is that you didn't become sinful, but you became unclean. Therefore, you were, un- you were in an unworthy state to be in the society of people and in the company of God. All right, so you were excluded. So if a woman with her monthly cycle, unclean. Touch a dead body, unclean. So if you're cooking, you know, it, unclean, unclean, right? Um, and anything that touches something unclean that you then touch becomes unclean. So it's incredibly infectious, right? This, and I'm going to come very, very close to it. I'm going to use a word, and, and I, oh, oh, it, it's used very regularly. It, it's almost a superstition like we, we we have superstitions, we have you know the ladders, the black cats, some of them we can 't explain they're like the, the meaning, the beginning of these superstitions are lost in antiquity, um, and as you look through leviticus you'll you 'll find some crazy, crazy um, prohibitions of clean and unclean right the the, the the animal with only a cloven hoof, a split hoof, and, and certain animals uh, only fish that have two sets of fins and, and all these rules and, and, and Bible scholars and theologians have have they, they have studied these lists like crazy, and here's what they conclude. Some of them make sense. Some of them make absolutely no sense. <laughs> Zero sense. Um, and, and, and again, it's just their culture that there were some things that had become, uh, again, borderline superstitious. Borderline superstitious. So Jesus addresses this issue head on. With this concept of clean and unclean, and this this conversation with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, so they ask about obeying the traditions of the elder, and Jesus turns the table on them. Jesus replied, "Well, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition?" Right. A little bit later on, uh, verse eight, I think, or verse seven, Jesus is going to call them hypocrites. I mean, this is where it shows very very clearly. Um, Jesus continues, verse four, it says, "For God said, honor your father and mother." And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. Can I get an amen for loopholes? Amen. How many of you have never cursed your mom and dad? If you're still standing here, you found a loophole, or God found a loophole for you. All right, so praise God. Praise God. Or we'd all be toast. Right? So, the, so this, is, this is one of the big ones. Honor your mother and your father. This is like one of the top ten. A biggie. This wasn't a lesser law. Basically, Jesus is saying, you're upset because we're breaking a man-made law that was created so that we wouldn't break a super important biggie law, but you're breaking one of the biggest laws of all, right? Honor mom and dad and a law that God gave us, not man. Jesus continues, verse 5, but you say, all right, now this is where they've taken theology and they've twisted it to empower them to do exactly the opposite of what God intended. Taking his own words and twisting them so much that the intent is is turned around 180 degrees. This is where you said, but mom, you said to keep the lights on if they weren't needed. Me and my girl didn't need the lights, right? This is where they've fallen in love with the commands at the expense of the commander. Love that line. They've fallen in love with the commands at the expense of the commander. Jesus continues in verse five and six says, but you say, that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help your father or mother is devoted to God or Corbin, it's a word I think in your new, your King James version still uses that word, I'll explain that in a moment, um, they're not to honor your mother and father with it basically they they had one law completely separate from honoring mom and dad but they had this other law coban, where you if you had some excess uh, material wealth you could devote it to God right and and it was therefore God's and so what was happening is, is people were going okay so I got we got two rules honor mom and dad and coban. and honoring mom and dad like we got no care facilities right Right? There's no, there's no uh, old folks home. There's no anything like that. Basically, if you get old and there's nobody to take care of for you, you become a beggar or a prostitute. One of the two. You have no other options. Right? So taking care of mom and dad was a pretty big deal. And taking care of mom and dad, a lot of folks in our culture are finding out that's not a cheap thing. That's not a, a, an easy undertaking. It's a huge, huge, it's almost like a second lifetime And so what the Jews were doing, they would, if they knew mom and dad were going to be needing some help, they would devote all of their excess money that could have been used to honor and help mom and dad. They devoted to God. So literally they say, mom and dad, hey, mom and dad, I know you need my help. I know you need my help. But if I let you have this money that I've devoted to God, it'd be like all of us robbing God. And mom, dad, you wouldn't want me to do that, would you? Oh, no, son, we don't want you to do that. And so this is what they were doing. They were taking one law that had something to do with something else entirely, and they were using it to violate one of God's laws. Honor your mother and your father. Jesus concludes, Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your traditions. And again, before we get all righteously indignant, we do this all the time in difficult situations. Whenever we experience a difficult situation or or something that we're trying to explain and we're having a horrible time explaining it, we do exactly what Matthew 15:6 says. We nullify or or we we ignore or deliberately fog the obvious passages and then we bring a hyper kind of focused on some unclear passages, right? In order to get what we want, we, we, we fog up the clear and, 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 and we, we make up some stuff on the unclear in order to get what we, we, we find loopholes, we, we, we play the game, we game God, and we do. So let's sum it up, right? Jesus doesn't like it when we use his Father's word to avoid doing his Father's will. We do it all the time. Conservative Christians do it. They use selective use of Scripture to take back America. Liberal Christians do it. Selective use of Scripture to demand certain immigration and welfare reforms. Each side picks and chooses the passages from Scripture that best will defend and give them ammunition to do exactly what they want to do. In other words, the Scripture, by doing so, they submit Scripture to their own wills instead of submitting themselves to, to God's will. So Paul shows up the Apostle Paul. This has been going on, the Jewish people, they're, they're gaming God. Paul shows up, thinking about the words of Jesus, right, they will know that you're my disciples if you love them. They'll know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. By love. And Paul's kind of processing all this, and he pulls everybody together, and he says, basically, hey, well, just, just, just for a moment, Just for a moment, let's forget all all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commands and focus on the intent of the commander for for just a moment. Let's just kind of draw way back because things have unraveled and things have just kind of gotten nutty, higgly piggly, crazy. Listen to this. This is in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. And in the the context, he's talking about, you know, if you borrow, you need to return and pay the wage, fair wages and, and so forth. And he concludes, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So again, if you're looking at the, the 600, 700, I don't know how many total there are, right? And they didn't have smart, smartphones then, so I don't know how they kept track of them. There was no system. There was just, I, it was just, I, I, don't, I, know, I, don't, I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they did it. But Paul says, and, and again, I think, repeating the words of Jesus, look, look, just stop. If you simply love each other, then you understand all those other laws. Don't even worry about them. If you love each other, And he continues. In case we miss the point, verse nine: the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other commandment there may be, right? Any other verses? Any other theologies? Any other beliefs? Any other? I think this is what the writer is saying. I. This is what we believe. I don't know about you. Any of that other stuff there may be must be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're a Christian who likes to pick and choose this scripture, that scripture, as you're doing that, go for it. You know, we love loopholing. That's all good and fine. But if you're going to use loopholes, that better be a loophole that expands love. It better not be a loophole that contracts love because I think you're on the wrong track if you are pulling back love. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is how people will know you're my followers, not by what church you attend, not by what political party you belong to, not by whether you stand still or bust a move during the singing. I personally would prefer to bust a move, but I know I'm a Nazarene, so people will look at me funny, you know. Not by whether you raise holy hands or not, not by whether you tithe or not. They will know you're my disciples by your love. Don't let Fox News or CNN or anyone else tell you how to love, who to love, when to love. Let's just all agree here this morning, at home, wherever you're at, since we all love loopholes and we're really good at it, just be honest, right? Love loopholes and we're really, really good at it. Let's just be honest about the loopholes in times of crisis. Some people will find loopholes to expand love, and others will look for loopholes to pull back on love. And I just want to ask you a couple questions very quickly here at the end. Do you value any of our traditions, maybe as Nazarenes, Christians, above what Scriptures instruct us? And this is something you're going to have to wrestle with, maybe a conversation to have at home. Is there anything from our traditions, from your traditions, from your past, like maybe different kinds of bigotry? that maybe you need to repent from. Maybe we need to repent from loopholes that we had used to withhold love rather than expand love. And then on the, le- on the flip side, let's be the ones looking for loopholes to expand love. I want to close with a passage I've been just really hanging on to this past couple of weeks. It's Romans 8.28. This is the Revised Standard Version. I just want to close with this and pray. We know that in everything, God works for good. I love that. In everything, God works for good. With, love this, with those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. So he wants to work with us. Pray for loopholes to love. Look for loopholes to love, to expand love. I love the passage. Love covers a multitude of sins or mistakes. I think this is what we're driving at here today. If you're worried, if I love this person who I maybe I shouldn't, what will God say? I think God'll be a okay with it. I think God will be a if you find a way to love in our culture, I think God's I- Two thumbs up. Bow your heads. Father God, thank you so much for being with us here this morning. Thank you for being in all of our homes and all in, in our on our internet. <laughs> this is just amazing. Uh, Father, again, thank you. Thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your son who just kind of clarified some stuff that could easily be purposely made muddy. <laughs> uh, Jesus, thank you for being so crystal clear and for showing us the Father so that we don't need to make any misrepresentations either our explanation matches you jesus or we've got a wrong explanation father help us to keep our eyes on your son help us to continually be filled with the power of your spirit so that we can not only recognize and remember the things that jesus said and taught us but then that we can do them father give us courage give us insights Work your power through us, Father. Thank you so much for this incredible privilege and dignity that you've given us. And we're going to reflect right back and glorify you. Thank you, Father. Your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, so get on the comment sections. Dan's going to come back up with us here and he's going to give us a blessing as we go. Um, but jump onto those comment sections and I got some homework for you. I want you to take a look at a passage I showed you at the very beginning. First John chapter one, verse nine. Um, that verse that we like to use as a loophole is actually in the middle of a whole passage in which John is saying, stop using loopholes. So you got to go read it, right? Cause we, we loophole that verse really badly. So your homework, go study the context of 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 Have a wonderful day thank you so much